Welcome to the Dig In Travel Podcast, where travel and other digital professionals level up their marketing skills by listening to the top industry experts. And now, here's your host, Istok Franco, founder of DigInTravel.com, your number one resource for travel, digital, e-commerce, and marketing. Hi, this is Istok, and you're listening to episode 50 of the Dig In Travel Podcast. Our last two episodes of this podcast have been about data science, which is a logical choice based on everything that's happening at the moment and how rapidly things are evolving in this space, especially with the evolution of tools like ChatGPT. In those two episodes, when we talked to Chief Data Officer at LATAM Airlines, you could learn how a large airline like LATAM is integrating data science in their organization and business units. Today, we'll try to be practical, we'll talk how airlines can leverage data science to implement dynamic pricing and dynamic offers. Because if I were to pinpoint the most significant area for airlines where data science can have a substantial impact, it would undoubtedly be in airline dynamic pricing and dynamic offers. This is often seen as the holy grail for airlines to implement these dynamic pricing and dynamic offers uh, concepts because this is the next step, I would say, in using data and creating really a compelling offer for our customers. And to tell you more about that, I couldn't find a better guest than Mike Robinson because Mike worked on dynamic pricing both at Frontier Airlines for a long time and then at Amadeus and it gets even better Mike also has experience with leveraging AI and machine learning to build dynamic pricing models at the retail giant Amazon, and he worked on dynamic pay product for drivers at Lyft, which is a platform similar to Uber. Their dynamic pay model replaced the previous static rate cards with pay based on models. So Mike has tons of experience and offered great insights for all of us to learn because even if dynamic pricing or dynamic offers are not your area of work or interest, I think learning about how to integrate machine learning and data science in any area of airlines and their business should be. Because what used to be the future is now the present and listening to experts like Mike will prepare us all to be able to take the most out of it. Please enjoy this episode. We at Brandspace are a passionate and deeply experienced team. We break barriers and make it easy for airlines and other travel companies to create better digital experiences for travelers and staff. Check out Brandspace.com to learn more. Hi, Mike, and welcome to the Digging Trail podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so... I was following your work for a while, especially when you worked at the Frontier and later on at the Madeos. So as we were talking before this chat, I saw you talking at a lot of conferences <laughs> uh, and then uh, like uh, LinkedIn is like a small airline <laughs> world. Uh, you know, everybody, especially the ones that produce quality content. So I think we were due for this talk uh, for a while, but I wanted to talk to you or have you on, especially because you, I saw the last two roles that were not in airline world, but let's say in what I call digital natives world. So at Amazon and Lyft, and to me, 
this is very interesting because you work in dynamic price, uh, pricing, in offer management, using data, data science to do this stuff uh, in airlines. And I see a lot of airlines want to do that. Uh, but to me, the learnings and uh, from the other industries are often uh, more useful. So really happy to have you on. And maybe before we get into the details, just a little bit about your journey, especially the latter part from the airline transition. And Yeah, absolutely. I, I think as you alluded to there, there's been some consistency and some some change. Um, so I've actually been working in pricing systems and strategy for about 15 years, all told. And the last 10 of those, um, from airline up through uh, more kind of tech uh, organizations, have been in really about using artificial intelligence to drive those pricing systems and that strategy. Um, my roles have generally been in, in kind of biz tech roles. So this is a role where it's focused on integrating data science and technology into a team that's focused on something like revenue growth or innovation. Um, so yeah, as you you alluded to, uh, I here in Seattle, I've been with Amazon. I worked on the Prime team, and then I also worked with a, a CRM on the Amazon.com side. And at the at Lyft, which some folks may not be familiar with, is a rideshare company. It's a competitor to Uber. Um, before that, I was in the in the airline industry um, in airline technology at in the Amadeus. A team in Nice, and then at Frontier Airlines in Denver. So there's actually a lot of continuity in in what I've done, and there's I think a lot that can be extrapolated from 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 the experiences that that I've had more recently. What really kind of drove me to the change to, that brought me to Seattle was really a combination of things, and the one was we had been doing a great job as an industry in moving forward with data-driven, customer-centric, customized prices and offer management um, throughout my career. And it, it, a lot of this just had to do with, with uh, I think I'm very fortunate, and all of us are very fortunate to be living at this, this moment of great opportunity where there are several different innovations that are coming together. One of them, of course, and in, in when we talk about machine learning, a lot of the, the concepts from machine learning are 40, 50 years old, but they just weren't practical because nobody had the scale of data to make them usable. And in between, when I got into the airline industry in 2013, and when I went to Amazon, all of a sudden, this big data revolution made it possible for an airline like Frontier, and, and no offense to Frontier, but you know, Frontier is not a huge business, does not have, uh, did not at the time have, have piles of piles of capital, could all of a sudden be leveraging big data to use machine learning to drive systems innovations and to drive the use of artificial intelligence. And that's phenomenal. I mean, this is, and, and it, of course, not limited to airlines, this democratization of artificial intelligence um, really that, that, that comes by in part by the technology, but also the thing we shouldn't forget is the data availability, which yeah. was really revolutionary. Um, so I think that's something that's probably pretty familiar with folks here. I think, I feel like, customized pricing and offer management is something that has become broadly acceptable across the industry as a sort of a target. We were making great progress, as I said, at Frontier. We had a, I had a really wonderful team um, working with me in this, this kind of, we had a, a sort of a biz tech team that was working on, uh, focused on ancillary product development, ancillary pricing. We transitioned from flat pricing to fully dynamic pricing. 
Um, and this was with, uh, we did this in partnership with Planetas Airline Systems that was deeply embedded with my team to bring in data science to leverage this big data capability. And then also with the Navitaire team, we used the APO module uh, to actually implement, uh, which is one of the really important things about data sciences. Um, if you can't implement it, 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 yeah. it ultimately is seen as valueless. Yeah, yeah. What you said to me, it's very important and also... A key thing you said democratization of this data data science i see with me personally not only the capabilities and all these uh, let's say SaaS platforms that you can now use so you don't need uh, big machine centers like data centers capabilities but even the tools and languages like i personally like, like i said i play with r with libraries and there are now libraries and procedures to do almost anything you don't need to be like uh, a doctor in statistics uh, to do to build your own models or to try some of the things to learn about these things so these things are really important and like we said the later revolution it's things like ChatGPT and all these things which will make this even simpler so not that you don't need to be a data scientist or a statistician you don't even need to know to how to write code you just need to ask the right question so i think this is the next uh, st uh, step in this evolution. But maybe before we go into this latter part, so where we are now, what were some of the key challenges or what were some of the key learnings when you started with this? You said, I don't know, 2013, 2014, and later at Frontier, trying to, this migration, like you said, from flat pricing for ancillaries to try to use some dynamic models using data, even using some of these uh, machine learning algorithms for, to do that. Yeah, I'd say probably the the biggest challenges relate to how infrastructure was was set up. And if you didn't have an infrastructure that could support any um, any machine learning, that uh, you risked spending money, time, and energy on producing a machine learning outcome that was was ended up in a report and ended up on a PowerPoint. And and you can so say, well, hey, not actionable, like you said before. Exactly, yeah. and. Um, I have found nothing is more annoying to senior executives <laughs> than spending time and energy on something that just ends up with a report. Because the first question is always, and what can I do with this? And if the answer is, well, nothing, because our systems are too limited, that's that does not play well. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was a big challenge for us. And at Frontier, um, you know, at, at Amadeus, this was all about integrating all of this capability so that it would function and, and clear understanding that um, airline customers of Amadeus's airline customers were not interested in using machine learning to, to just get some sort of an insight and then go off and, and keep doing what they were doing, but actually integrating it into the Altea platform. At Frontier, we had to kind of bring things together in a different way, largely because we were dealing with very different time scales. Um, Amadeus is, is, you know, develops the Altea platform. They've got, uh, I think it was 350 airline customers. It is a, a big deal and changes are, are cannot, cannot be made in a matter of months. Whereas at Frontier, uh, Frontier was going through very rapid transition, very rapid expansion, and really needed to see improvement, the sort of improvement that could really only be brought by artificial intelligence very rapidly. It was necessary to really communicate and, and, and at the board level, what it entailed from that kind of biz tech perspective, 
that you can't just you can't just hire a data science and say, well, why isn't this working? Because that data science that data scientist doesn't have the data that they need. What they output can't flow the, through the systems. So we had to produce effectively a three-year plan and present that to the board and say, well, it, it requires this investment that goes across the the entire system. So we do need data science capability. We need the data capability. We also need a means to be able to affect this. And what we said uh, sort of time and again is each one of them seems like it may be a discrete area of investment, but if you don't do all of them, you won't get you'll get a fraction of the benefit from from doing any of them. But at the end, what did you show at the end as a result? That was not the report. At the end was actually dynamic pricing, and it was dynamic offer management, which you know we've we've talked about again, and and it's been part of the goal at Frontier, part of the goal at, at Amadeus, um, and that was actually you know what we were working on very hard. So at, at Frontier, the fully dynamic pricing launched, um, and uh, you know was was very successful. Good improvement for customers, improvement for the business. We were on our journey when when COVID hit, um, and that changed everything, of course. An example of that dynamic pricing, we are talking now ancillary products like yes. seats, things like that. Uh, how how would that work in practice, for example? Yeah, so at Frontier also offers ancillary bundles, which was an innovation that we did in, uh, launched in 2015. So it's a great way to offer customers a way to get more without necessarily being the sum total of each a la carte product. So the way that it works is that when customers come in, Frontier is using artificial intelligence to determine what are the best offers for this customer based on a host of factors. So this includes looking at previous customers, what uh, using uh, that kind of customer value, but also marketplace considerations. You know, Frontier is is a business. Frontier needs to to produce um, profits, and all of those things go into the artificial intelligence that then change those prices so that customers are seeing the best price for them at that moment for that flight. Okay, and one thing that we were talking about, especially when we are talking bundles, is it's not only when we talk about merchandising and retailing and a lot of this, even what we call in airline world, I think, merchandising and re retailing and in other, I don't know, at Amazon, it's probably just e-commerce, just, just selling, yeah. So I think we use this fancy word, but a lot of time, especially with bundles and savings, with dynamic pricing and offering, I think we as airline industry perceive it as, because it is a very challenging tech problem, like you said, calculation problem, data science problem. But then at the end, when we often fail is communication and marketing. So how we communicate this to to the to the end customer like you said what were the let's say for you the key learnings there how you how is how do how is this done the best because i see a lot of airlines not necessarily lccs but traditional that want to go and unbundle implement this let's say a la carte products and then they typically start with fixed pricing because it's basically easier to communicate but then when we implement dynamic pricing i think this opens a set of new challenges how you how you communicate this to the customer because it's a little bit more complex. Yeah, I think this all goes back to, to customer centricity. And, you know, when I say customer centric, I don't mean, um, you know, just more amenities or more things thrown in for the same price. I really mean, 
analyzing and understanding your customers and in particular, how they're different from one another and how they value things differently from one another. And in the airline space, this is really, if you think about trips, the same customers value things differently on different trips, in addition to different customers valuing things differently. So once you kind of embrace that there's a difference in the value, then it makes sense to have a difference in the price. And it's also going to resonate with customers. Uh, this was one of the things that um, I, I think a couple of times in my, my experience, there's been concern when an airline went from a flat price to dynamic pricing, that there would be some form of outcry that, that you know, why, why is this um, seat assignment X when last time I flew with you, it was Y. And the thing about it is, if you're matching customers' value well, customers are going to ultimately be satisfied. And there really isn't this sort of concern about, you know, what is your pricing policy? And it's really more about, is this pricing policy right for me? I don't really care. Customers don't really care if it's right or wrong for yeah. another person. So what we've seen kind of time and again with airlines when we went from flat prices that were, you know, kind of communicated very sort of aggressively on the on the home page and on landing pages as flat prices moving to dynamic pricing is if you're getting it right your customers are going to be happy and here i think what you said is very important when you said that not only different customers value different products or different features or different parts differently but also same customer on different type of a trip or different trip. And this is, I think, especially when it comes to ancillary, much more important because me as a business or a leisure traveler will will value completely different things in price. And this is, I think, where we hit the problem of, let's say, trying to figure out all these combinations and all these things manually. This is where I think an algorithm or machine learning where you get through all these combinations uh, is optimization of this kind of things is uh, where I, I think it's uh, re really where the value of the machine learning and everything hits, right? Absolutely. I mean, artificial intelligence does such a great job of, it's this idea of cognition, right? Where it's it's attempting to, to model that kind of human exchange that um, the the sort of the analogy that I often use is is you know a, a marketplace and for millennia where a seller and a buyer frequently knew each other they would come in and they would discuss what kind of what what basket of products that that customer is going to buy at the moment um, but the artificial intelligence can do better than that because it is based on models and models are inherently superior to human judgment because they do so much to eliminate noise, even a simple model. And Danny Kahneman's most recent book about this, uh, Noise, does such a great job of demonstrating that even a simple model based on a human does a better job in terms of consistency and efficacy than the human themselves. So we take that and then we understand, well, uh, the, uh, one of the other important things about artificial intelligence and that differentiates it from other sort of optimization problems is this concept of learning. So as it's learning, it's based on models and it scales, but it still kind of has this sort of throwback to how, how pricing and offer management was done for, for millennia, really before the, 
um, you know, before the late 19th century. So that's where all of this kind of plays in and where it all kind of comes together up to the point that it is now. And, and, and up to the point where it is sort of uh, around determining that optimal price, um, maybe presenting uh, this offer above that offer. Um, and I think that's where we've really gotten to in the, in the, the airline space. At least that's where we, where we were when I, when I went to Amazon. At BranchSpots, we are a passionate team with deep cross-functional experience in airline and travel tech, travel retail, and end-to-end customer experience. We offer Transform Consulting Services and Triplake our best-in-class digital commerce platform. With Triplake, we deploy the latest technology and retail thinking and make it easy for you to drive personalized end-to-end experiences for your customers and meet your revenue goals. We are an IATA strategic partner for digital innovation to drive together the future of travel. We have been a long-term trusted partner for LH Group, IAG, AGN, TAP, Air Malta and more. Visit branchspace.com to learn how we turn the current challenges airlines are facing in the digital world into opportunities. If we fast forward now, so you worked on, I wouldn't say, let's say similar challenges, but dynamic pricing. I think at uh, Amazon, you also worked on Prime a product, which I see another interesting concept that some of the airlines are trying to replicate with subscriptions which I think, again, the challenges of revenue management, it turns it upside down because I think the calculation and marketing calculation and everything is completely different than classical. So maybe from your experience from Lyft and Amazon, what would you see would be your main learnings that you would try to go and change if you could, or is it so different that it's hard to compare to airline work? Yeah, I would say subscriptions are beautifully complex <laughs> offers. And in particular, if you think about Amazon Prime and, and also anything that an airline would offer compared to a subscription product like, um, say, Netflix. Netflix is, is I, I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's pricing is simple, but it doesn't have the complexity of all the downstream impacts. Because for Netflix, all their money comes from the subscription revenue. And your memberships are, are, you know, they have a few different tiers, but that's basically it. With Amazon Prime, you are talking about a subscription program that also has this reach into how customers interact with all these other Amazon offers and products, and it changes how people behave. So it has this, this wonderfully complex interaction. Because the other thing is people don't interact with Amazon the same as one another. And they don't necessarily have the same kind of change when they become a prime member or they're they're um, uh, potentially stop being a prime member. So there is a lot of complexity in that. I would say it's not impossible to model out. It is very difficult, and it is very difficult when you have something like an airline subscription. And um, you know, we we launched at Frontier, we launched the Discount Den as right. a subscription program. Uh, not you know, not not the first of its kind. Um, I would say. That that is a you know that is 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 certainly an interesting area of which to to think about artificial intelligence. It's very difficult again because the subscription programs um, haven't yet moved to anything like dynamic subscription pricing. So you're going to see you have to get that kind of price right for everyone who's joining the subscription program, um, at least at the moment. There are tiered programs, but you know sometimes that's not 
super useful and it becomes very, very complicated if you have something like Prime where the benefits are not inherently sort of step ups from one another. So Prime has, Prime in the United States has multiple benefits, but uh, they tend to be ones that will appeal to different people differently as compared to like a Netflix program, a Netflix step up plans where it's just inherently, you know, we get more screens. It's very simple. You may or may not need them, but you understand what that is. I would say though that um, the biggest learnings, oh, and, and Lyft was also, you know, so just to step back for a second for, for folks who, who aren't super aware with of, of how, you know, rideshare works. Lyft is um, uh, similar to Uber, puts together riders and drivers. The riders request a ride to go somewhere. There's a price that they pay. Then what happened in the past, and at Lyft, it was up until November of last year, November of 2022, is a driver would accept that ride, would pick up that person, would drive them to their destination, and then would be paid based on a certain amount per mile and a certain amount per minute. It's a rate card. It's the same way taxis mm -hmm. in New York City were paid, you know, in 1965. So that's how that was done. In November, we went to at Lyft. We went to a upfront pay, which meant every time that a driver received the, a ride request, it had a dollar value attached to it and all the details. So that then allowed us to use dynamic pricing for those for that pay value. That's what my team did. So that then allowed us to think about how we could pay drivers better, considering how those drivers value those rides. But also, it requires the same sort of marketplace consideration that you have in, in something like airfare. You can't just sell all your tickets at the lowest price possible. You can't just try to get the highest conversion rate for uh, airline tickets, because then, of course, you sell out the plane really, really early. It's the same with, um, with rideshare marketplaces. Obviously, if we want to, to see our driver metrics improve, we could just pay drivers infinitely more money. And then our, our drivers would be very, very happy, but of course we'd have to charge the riders more and demand would be suppressed and, and you know we'd go out of business. So it creates this really complex problem, which again, artificial intelligence does such a fantastic job of putting these things together, still requires a lot of effort, you know, a lot of effort on the parts of um, the different teams involved. And I think this is one of the areas where um, organization and planning come into the equation. And I think that's one of the big big takeaways that I have from my time at Amazon and Lyft is around organization and around planning. Okay. And what specifically do you mean at organization and planning? So if, let's say, what do you think they do differently compared to, let's say, a traditional airline organization that would want to start with, I don't know, implementing dynamic pricing or dynamic offers for a certain part of their business? Yeah. So I think some airlines are heading in this direction, but I think um, I actually have had occasion to spend a fair amount of time doing research and thinking about organizational structures. There's a theory among um, management theory that says, as we have these cycles of innovation, it creates management innovation as well, and that they kind of follow. And we end up with these new paradigms in innovation. One of the classic examples is um, the railroads in the United States directly led to the creation of the first org chart, which then is you know such a powerful management tool. The way that tech teams that I've worked on are structured follows this biz tech concept, 
where you have a relatively small team compared to a lot of kind of legacy companies that is around a certain business, um, a, a, a relatively sharply defined business area. And it includes the data science, the engineering team, the business team who are responsible for those metrics. And this is really enabled because of a couple of things. One is the push toward microservices away from a large technology um, solution, which then is supported by a large technology team that really can't be split apart. But now we're moving away from that to microservices. So you can have a discrete engineering team that's quite small, that's working on a specific service that it owns, that it does something specific and interacts with other services. On the data science side, likewise, it might have made sense when data science was very complicated and when data storage was very expensive to try to centralize that function. But now data storage is really, really cheap. And data science, as we were saying, has been so democratized. It's actually much more important to have those data scientists very, very close to the engineers and to the business team that they're trying to support. So this is the way that organizationally you have kind of this small team that is responsible for the science, the tech, and actually the, the business metrics. But would you say, so if I understand correctly, you would have like different business teams, agile business teams across organization. And then when they would came across or would see opportunity of addressing a certain business problem with the data science, they would have a small data science within this team or add the capabilities and try to solve and build a solution, um, which I agree. And I had like on prior podcast, I had the CDO's chief data officer from LATAM who worked for Uber and he was talking about the similar things. So about not only that, but even having several small teams working on the same problem. And once the, the one solution finds out the solution, the, the other teams move to the other problem. So, but would you say with this concept and this model, that we require, because I think you said, and you used the word business and biz and, you know, like this is business driven. So do you think that requires the business leaders to be more educated about the capabilities of data science, about what's possible so that they can basically push for this kind of, uh, let's say, opportunities and this kind of organization to embed data science within their teams? Um, I would say not necessarily. Um, and I think one of the things that um, is really necessary, I would say, for this structure to work in particular, because of course you're, you're creating divisions. And I know that's one of the things which, um, one of the challenges is how to deal with divisions when you, you could have competing uh, competing goals, maybe even goals that are, are directly at odds with one another. So I think the other side of this, and I think what what ultimately gets to your question, is in having a really robust planning cycle across teams. And at at, at Amazon, and at, at and this is somewhat of a standard. It's on these three year plans. So you come up with um, a written three-year plan of what your team, the, the problems or opportunities that your team has identified as being the most important, why those are the most important things for your team to be looking at, how you're going to solve them, why your solutions are actually going to work. And you write this out. 
And where everything that you're touching on other teams, if you have dependencies on other teams, you work with that team. And so you're integrating what they need from you or what you need from them into your three-year plan. If you disagree, then you can put that in the plan. And Amazon has a specific concept called a hotly debated topic where you say, we are not aligned on this one element. The reason we do X is this. The reason we do Y is this. We're seeking guidance on which to, to follow. You put that in your plan so that it's contextualized. Your senior leadership then reads these plans and they're able to make a really informed decision on which, really on the conflicts. And it really relies on, um, there is a trust and verify concept here. Teams are trusted to come up with what problems they're solving and the best way to solve them, although they do need to prove it. It does need to be written out. So if there's something glaring that's missing, it's more likely to surface that way. But there's a lot of trust and that the idea is not that the leader is in there telling them minutely what to do. So that is a, a really, really effective way to deal with divisions between teams because you, you cannot put up a plan that says, uh, well, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make this other team do this. And they have a plan that says they're going to do something completely different. So you have to reconcile those plans. Um, Amazon does it, like I said, it's a three-year planning cycle, what, what you're going to do in the next three years. And then you turn it into an operational plans, OP1. And then that's what you execute on. But that allows your leaders to have a really effective engagement um, especially because if you if you don't do that, you know you either end up in endless meetings with people in other teams where you're you just disagree with each other and you just keep talking at each other, or you run endless escalations where you're constantly going up to your lowest common leader saying, "Well, we want to do X and they want to do Y. What are we going to do?" And it's out of context. Uh, the leader may make a good decision based on a single meeting, but it may not really be the best decision based on the long-term direction of the company. So I think that's one of the things which is, um, I will admit, uh, I will admit right off, it's very expensive. It's a very expensive exercise. Uh, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. It can be kind of painful because you're, you're, you're arguing with your peers. You have to have sometimes these kind of hotly debated debates. But the efficiency that it brings is that your teams are then very clear on what, they, what they're going to execute on. And I think it's really essential if, if um, to be successful in this this kind of biz tech world. And how would you replicate it, for example, in practice? This model, let's say, this organization model, let's say, in the airline world. So, let's say I'm a, a leader of a revenue management department, and I say, okay, we want to implement X or data science in I don't know certain areas. How would that look then in practice? Yeah, I'd say it wants to start. It's interesting. I don't know that I've, I've thought of specifically how to do kind of like a cold start organizationally. Okay. I think the first thing that you would want is some sort of product leadership so that you're defining what are the actual problems and opportunities and then how are you going to address them. And from there, you should start to see kind of what are the organizational structures. Um, I think this is, you know, there's often the question of what's the right team or what's the what's the right remit for each individual team. And I think that's kind of the heart of your question. It gets answered when you start writing these plans, because if you are having kind of like KPIs that you can't reconcile 
then it's because you probably need to split up your team. Inversely, if you have um, uh, too many shared KPIs with another team, then you probably need to be working together. So uh, an example might be at Lyft, we were working, uh, my team was driver pay, and we were working on how to pay drivers better. There's also a fraud team at Lyft, and that's also about how, how payouts happen better. There may be an idea that those two things should be together because it's all about paying drivers, but our KPIs were so different. And that indicated that we needed to be separate teams and our roadmaps need to indicate, I mean, essentially for, for my team, it was sort of like how we would prioritize anti-fraud activities that really meant that other activities had to um, be delayed. And we had to then appropriately prioritize and explain why was this more higher priority than the, the fraud activities and why is fraud activity a more higher priority than this other activity. So I would say that the, the concept of planning will actually tend to get to the point of, of showing you how you want to structure your teams, where you want to divide them up. Because I, I think the traditional kind of just revenue management, uh, you know, pricing revenue management team is, is probably, um, I mean, especially as, as you start to look towards dynamic it's probably not necessarily the structure that you want to have going forward. Interesting. Maybe at the end, with all these developments that we see last couple of months, and as we see every day, basically, on the data science, like with ChatGPT and all other things, what are what is the most interesting part of this when it comes to dynamic pricing and things like that? So what's... What excites you the most or what is the most scary part of this? I would say the things I've been focusing on a couple of things recently, one very, very, very short term and one much longer term. The short term is, I, I was talking about you know how costly planning cycles are done and, and what I'll call the Amazon way, but it's, it's a lot of tech companies follow the same three-year plan. It's really, really important that documents are well-written because you have to communicate a lot of often really complex, really important things. This may seem kind of simple for folks who haven't been through this process, but what a, a an enterprise version of a chat GPT could do to improve the planning cycle and improve a product manager's efficiency and reduce the cost of that cycle is so, so exciting. And I mean, it is, the technology is there with, I mean, just with ChatGPT, you just need, and there are some um, enterprise versions, so you can put in sensitive data, which you can't do with ChatGPT because it's, it's, you know, it's not protected. Um, that is hugely impactful to how we can run our, our teams. The other, though, is kind of a more of a longer range. You know, I was talking about this this sort of analogy that I use of, of selling that I, I know this is, is a little bit of a common one going back to this marketplace and the, the where millennia sellers have met buyers. Our artificial intelligence to this point has really kind of replicated an experience where the merchant is really ready for that customer to walk through that door and they've got an uh, offers kind of laid out on the table and have prices kind of laid out on the table. And then the customer comes in and the merchant sort of says, here, I've got these offers for you. And maybe the merchant follows the customer around as they browse through the store, but there's no real information exchange like there would have been in, in human interaction. So 
I think that's where some of this natural language uh, processing capability is actually really exciting for travel is that it opens up the possibility for us to have much more of a conversation around what that customer is trying to achieve rather than kind of trying to infer it, especially once they've arrived. And you see these, you know, I, I think there's some folks who've done some really, really fascinating things about, you know, asking people, uh, oh yeah, what, what kind of trip do you want to take? Where do you want to go? Um, the, the problem with those is they're just at this point, from my experience, so much less efficient than our kind of standard booking <laughs> flows that I would imagine they're not seeing a lot of traffic. Yeah. I, I don't think we should take that as a sign that it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And I think this is maybe, I don't know if it's the same thing that uh, you had in mind, but I thought a lot of, about that in the past, about how we sell basically, because every airline search form is the same. And our search form really limits us when we analyze what people want because we limit them by the search, by the input form. So we don't gather the demand that is not possible by the search form. And if you put this, like you said, with, I don't know, chat GPT type, you can get all this unstructured demand where you can see demand for products, routes that you maybe not don't offer. So in the typical search form is not uh, possible to gather it, but now you can gather it and what what with the language processing it's very easy to analyze it so i think this is like you said i see the same i think it's a big opportunity for us uh, as an industry to finally change something that like you said might work perfectly but we haven't been able to change in last i don't know 30 years or basically since the first airline website started the, the search form is basically the same right what we, what we implemented there is maybe some dynamic pricing calendars and that's it but otherwise everything is the same and you really see if you combine sort of like what natural language processing can do with all that we've already got in terms of the selling intelligence so that you could have somebody literally say you know i'm interested in taking a vacation and rather than you know, what chat GPT would be is say, well, you know, beaches are nice and the right. mountains are nice. You would actually be able to predict what are really relevant, intelligent ex uh, responses beyond the sort of thing that chat GPT can do, but leveraging the, the natural language plus all the intelligence that we've developed in, in selling travel over the past, you know, using artificial intelligence over the last 10 years. So it's, I think that's very, very, very exciting. That's great. That's great. And a lot of things to think about. So the last thing I said that before, but this was it. <laughs> what is the best way for you? This is a personal question, not necessarily. Around, but what is the best way for you or how do you learn about this stuff? Oh, um, about artificial intelligence? Yeah. About, yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of funny because it was actually in, I, I had to spend some time preparing for this podcast to think through how what I and my teams have been doing relate to this kind of broader concept of artificial intelligence and, and even the language that's used to discuss it. And I sort of had to think, yeah, okay, so this is over here, we're using machine learning and over here we were doing the, you know, we, we were using reinforcement learning over here. Um, I think the thing is, it's it's so important to be able to, to try these things. I am, and I think it's also really important to read the research of what's been going on. Um, 
there is so much amazing stuff that is published in in academic journals. Um, like I was talking about, you know, that the uh, research in from organizational management to customer centricity. It really brings a lot of ideas in. So I would encourage people, you know, absolutely. And, and how I learn is that combination of doing it, doing it in different environments. I've learned a lot from each place where I've worked and also just reading, um, reading what, what comes out and particularly academic research. I think some of the things that make the newspaper are maybe less useful to, to folks who are kind of practitioners. Um, but yeah, those, I think those are the, the kind of keys that, that have, have helped me. Yeah. And I think even... <laughs> somebody inviting you to the uh, for the podcast sometimes then stimulates <laughs> learning it, does. it really does it allows you to, to step back and think about you know yeah what is it what is it all right that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> good great thanks thanks mike i think this uh, chat was awesome and uh, looking forward to see what's next for you your next work and uh, thanks for all the insights you shared for our audience Thank you so much for having me. At BranchSpots, we are a passionate team with deep cross-functional experience in airline and travel tech, travel retail, and end-to-end -end customer experience. We offer Transform Consulting Services and Triplake, our best-in-class digital commerce platform. With Triplake, we deploy the latest technology and retail thinking and make it easy for you to drive personalized end-to-end -end experiences for your customers and meet your revenue goals. We are an IATA strategic partner for digital innovation to drive together the future of travel. We have been a long-term trusted partner for LH Group, IAG, AGN, TAP, Air Malta and more. Visit branchspace.com to learn how we turn the current challenges airlines are facing in the digital world into opportunities.